So, yeah, definitely our latest forecast, it points to a continued strength in housing market. Although, let me just highlight that uh, we had home sales running at 7.6 million annual rate in the fourth quarter of 2020. 7.6 million. And in the first quarter of 2021, it was running at an annual rate of 7.2 million. So given that kind of strength in home sales earlier this year, uh, we are forecasting 6.9 million for the whole year of 2021. And this definitely reflects some slowdown in the housing market. But yes, you are right. We expect housing market to remain strong uh, because we have 6.9 million housing units uh, forecasted for 2022 as well. And there are a couple of reasons why we are so optimistic. Hi, Housing News listeners. This is Alcina Lloyd, and I'm the producer of this weekly podcast, which is a proud member of the Industry Syndicate. You just heard a word from Ajita Atreya, a senior economist at Freddie Mac. In today's episode, Housing Wire Editor-in-Chief Sarah Wheeler interviews her about Freddie Mac's latest quarterly forecast, as well as her housing and economic projections for the rest of 2021. Thank you for listening, and here's episode 10 of season 6 of the Housing News Podcast. Welcome everyone. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire with the latest episode of our Housing News Podcast. Our guest today is Ajita Atreya, Senior Economist at Freddie Mac. Previously, Ajita was a research fellow at the Wharton School and has been a consultant for the National Academy of the Sciences. We're really excited to talk today about the economics of the housing market. So Ajita, welcome to Housing News. Uh, Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm excited to be here today. We're really excited. So let's jump in. Um, The first question we always want to ask our guests is really, how did you get started in this industry or in economics in general? Yeah, uh, so it it, it will sound like a cliche answer, Sarah, but if somebody had told me when I was young that I'll be working as an economist in the housing industry, I'd have straight up said, no way. Not because economists is any less or housing industry is any less interesting, but because I was a science student with biology major aspiring to work in the field of a medicine. Uh, so, but then little did I know as a young aspirant that needles and blood and crazy working hours was not my cup of tea and hats off to those who can do it. And they are heroes and have proved that time and again, especially during this pandemic. But it was definitely not for me. What stuck with me though was a desire to have a doctorate in front of my name, to be very honest. And that's what I started pursuing. Um, going back to my college days, my bachelor's degree was in agriculture. I took courses in horticulture, agronomy, plant genetics, soil science, animal husbandry, agricultural machinery. Um, I even learned to make jam and jellies and you know, learn about flower arrangements. And it was all part of the course. It was hell, a lot of an experience. But in all those, I also took some courses of economics. Uh, It was not until uh, my master's degree, it was actually during my master's degree in agricultural economics at uh, Oklahoma State University, that's where I did my master's, I became fascinated with economics and the mathematics behind it, and later went on to pursue my PhD degree, my beloved doctorate in applied economics from University of Georgia. And of course, uh, uh, in your PhD, you have to choose your research topic, right? So my PhD dissertation, it was on flood risk, homeowner flood risk perception and insurance, where at a high level, I studied impact of floods on home prices and decision making around flood insurance, which again was a very exciting topic and very timely at, at that time. 
Uh, I also got an opportunity to hone my understanding of housing and its intersection with natural disaster while working at Resources for the Future, which is a nonprofit which is based in D.C. And at RFS, I was involved in a project studying impact of levies on home prices. So, you know, slowly through my PhD years and internship, my interest grew in housing. Uh, after my PhD, I got an opportunity to work at Wharton School's Risk Management and Decision Processes Center, where I expanded my knowledge base around natural hazard risk in housing and decision making. So I kind of built my background in housing unknowingly, I'd say, uh, just out of fascination. But that helped me um, get started in this industry. And I ended up at Freddie Mac. And uh, Sarah, I, I, um, if you ask me, I really enjoy research and getting into the weeds. And at the Office of the Chief Economist, we primarily focus on economic and housing research. And I work alongside some amazing and smart people, which makes my day-to-day -day work even more interesting because we're always trying to push that envelope and we're always trying to stay ahead of the curves, especially during times like the ones that we're currently living in. And just to add a little more, Housing is a very fascinating industry to be working in, if you have not noticed yet. Uh, there's so much to look at and things keep evolving. It keeps changing. So you can um, so you also keep chasing that, um, especially during this unprecedented times of COVID, which is a crazy time, but at the same time, very exciting time. Uh, and as a team, we work really hard to put together you know, forecasts that is timely and the research pieces that are timely and topical. Uh, so yeah. Uh, this is my long, short story of how I landed in this industry, uh, which honestly I am loving so far. I love that response. Really interesting, fascinating background there. Not sure how many other economists have that agricultural biological background, but uh, so interesting. And, you know, your your work that led you into this with the flood risk and uh, levy risk is so important right now. We're going to talk about climate change and risk uh, later on in this discussion. But thank you for sharing that. Really interesting. And I agree with you. I think housing is fascinating. And, uh, you know, I, I think it changes all the time. There's always something new to talk about and, um, you know, it, within the cycles, but also within all the people that it affects. So, well, well let's get into the next one, which is a, a, about the Freddie Mac's uh, quarterly forecast. So Freddie Mac's latest quarterly forecast expects continued strength in the housing market Despite some of the headwinds, so inflation has been a really hot topic over the last few weeks. Is inflation a worry as far as you're concerned? Uh, so, yeah, definitely our latest forecast, it points to a continued strength in housing market. Although, let me just highlight that uh, we had home sales running at 7.6 million annual rate in the fourth quarter of 2020. 7.6 million. And in the first quarter of 2021, it was running at an annual rate of 7.2 million. So given that kind of strength in home sales earlier this year, uh, we are forecasting 6.9 million for the whole year of 2021. And this definitely reflects some slowdown in the housing market. But yes, you are right. We expect housing markets to remain strong uh, because we have 6.9 million housing units uh, forecasted for 2022 as well. And there are a couple of reasons why we are so optimistic. And let me just talk about those. Uh, first, we have a very favorable demographics in the US today uh, that will support housing market for quite some time. I'll come to that later. And second, uh, mortgage rates are super low. And that's one of the biggest reasons why demand is so hot in the housing market. Now, going back to the demographics, uh, 
millennial population. They are going to be the uh, tailwind for the housing market. If you look at the oldest millennial, they are turning 40 this year, and the youngest are turning 25. If you look at the largest age cohort, uh, we have the millennial generation is 28 to 30. And given that the median age of first-time home buyer is age 33, we will have significant number of millennials coming to prime home buying age in a year or two, and they will be on the market for their first homes. And then we have Gen Z who, who will follow them. So the demographic delving for housing market strength, it is going to um, stay and it is here to stay. Now coming to the uh, point of uh, mortgage rates, uh, Freddie Mac, uh, we publish uh, mortgage primary mortgage market survey results each week where we survey a variety of lenders from different regions. And the 30-year fixed rate mortgage uh, is now hovering near 3% for a long time. Uh, as of last week, rates were down to 2.88%, which is about when you compare it to the historic lows of 2.65, it's about 22 bits higher uh, compared to the historic lows. But we need to put these rates into perspective. If you look at the where rates were pre-pandemic, Rates were almost always been above 4%. Uh, and in the 80s, they were in the high teens. So 2.88% of you know, rates of last week, or even 3% is a very low rate environment, which is very conducive for home buying. And what do buyers look for? They, they look for you know, their monthly payments and they are concerned about their monthly payments. And even with high home prices, if your rates stay low, then your purchasing power will remain high. Now, uh, again, uh, coming to the topic of inflation, yes, uh, inflation is hitting up. The core CPI, which is Fed's preferred measure of inflation, um, which is the CPI less food and shelter, subtracting food and shelter, it grew by 4.5% in June. And Fed's target for the core CPI is at 2%. So it is concerning. But if you look at the components of the CPI growth, uh, it is mostly driven by goods market and certain rapidly recovering segments. What I mean by that, for example, if you look at the uh, pandemic affected goods, then they are vehicles, vehicle parts, rentals were the ones that were affected the most during this pandemic in terms of goods. And uh, those are the ones or the major forces behind driving the inflation higher this time around. And these seem like pent up demand coming to life now, which is pushing the inflation higher temporarily. And even in service sector that grew by 3% in June, uh, by the way, a commodity component or the good component of CPI grew by 8.7% in June and service sector grew by 3%. Uh, in service sector, airline, hotel, sporting events are the ones contributing majorly to the inflation. Uh, so we talk about a lot um, in our team also about inflation and we're in a camp that inflationary pressure that we're seeing now is transitory but definitely something that we should be watching out for because that's going to have a major implication in the housing market, you know, if especially Fed decides to correct it. Uh, in terms of headwinds, one of the uh, one big for the housing market is tight supply of homes for sale. And I am not the first, nor I'll be the last person to say this because supply issue was there pre-pandemic as well. And the pandemic just made matters worse by you know, discouraging potential sellers for, from putting their homes on the market. So in terms of headwinds, I see supply as a big headwind. Um, inflation, um, it is concerning, but not worried too much up until now. Thank you for walking us through that. That's so, so important. And I was really glad to 
you know, here you mentioned mortgage rates, because obviously that's always top of mind for, for our industry. And, you know, we started out the year expecting, you know, rates to rise a little bit more than they have. Um, as you said, they're still really, really low, around 3% or under. What are you forecasting for the rest of this year and into 2022 for rates? Uh, yeah, so for rates, I mean, rates are always on top of mind for our industry because this is a major deciding factor determining your purchasing power. And and buyers, if you look at buyers today, they have become more sensitive to rates than in the past. Uh, what I mean by that is if you look at prior three episodes of operate cycle, in 2013 cycle, when the rates were up by 100 basis points, demand was down by 12%. Uh, in 2017 cycle, rates were up by half of 2013 rate increase by around 50 bits, and the demand fell by half. And by demand here, I mean demand for purchase from purchase applications. Uh, but in the current cycle, rates are up as much as seen in 2017 cycle, which is they were up by around 50 bits, but the demand fell by 18%. And this could be because of the rapid run-up in home prices and also, you know, homes flying off the shelf in a matter of a few days. Uh, and we do have an index for home price called the Freddie Mac Home Price Index. And we publish that on our web page monthly uh, and we track going back to 1975. If you look at the home prices, the home prices were up 17.3% compared to a year ago in May. And this is the highest 12-month house price growth has ever been in the history of the FMHPI, which is going back to 1975. It's higher than the mid-2000 uh, house price boom. It's higher than the inflationary years of you know late 1970s and early 1980s. And given such a strong home price growth, rates become even more important, uh, especially when it comes to affordability. Uh, and now coming back to our forecast, in our forecast, we have rates uh, hovering again, around 3% at 3.1% for the whole year of 2021. Uh, but then we have it uh, ticking up a little bit uh, to 3.7% in 2022. Again, below 4% for 2022 as well. As I mentioned earlier, if you go back to pre-pandemic times, rates have almost always been above 4%. And so, you know, rates below, uh, we still have rates below 4% going into 2022 as well. Really appreciate that. You know, let, let's talk a little bit more about that um, supply side. So low housing inventory has been the big story for much of the spring and summer, as you know. Do you see some relief coming in this area? And what does that mean for home price growth? Yeah, so lack of supply is definitely a fundamental issue in the housing market. And I talked about strong home sales. Uh, but it's just uh, it's not just the number, um, but the rate at which homes are selling, which is astounding. The 20% of homes sold today, Sarah, they go under contract within three days, which is just crazy to think about. And I'm seeing that even in my own neighborhood in the D.C. metro area where no time between um, coming soon and under contract is just mind-boggling. And the absorption rate, uh, which is the rate at which available homes go under contract over a period of a month, it is at almost 65%. And it varies from market to market. If you go to Toledo, Ohio, in the Midwest, absorption rate is at 89%. If you go to South Irving, Texas, the absorption rate is 102%. Go to the West, in Tucson, Arizona, it is at 117%. And in the Northeast, Buffalo, New York, um, absorption rate is at 71%. And by the way, all these numbers are based on a recent research that, we, uh, that you can find on our website. 
Uh, if the absorption rate is greater than 20%, it means that the supply of inventory is expected to turn over in less than five months at the current sale pace. So 65% means that the inventory, it is expected to turn over in less than two months. And that's how tight the supply is. And to fix this, uh, I think it will require some time and innovation and collaboration within the industry and outside of the industry as well. And uh, if we you know, drive around, we see a lot of construction happening. Um, it is going to add to the supply, but the current pace of home building is just not enough. Uh, because the U.S. Uh, has had two decades of very weak housing construction. If you compare the population growth to, you know, the housing units built since 2000, the U.S. has gained 46 million people and only 20 million housing units. And in our recent research also, we saw that we need an additional 3.8 million housing units to fill the uh, demand gap. And in 2018, we did the same research. And our numbers suggested that uh, we were 2.5 million short in housing supply. Fast forward 2020, we are 3.8 million short. And for builders also, uh, there are a lot of obstacles, especially uh, during this pandemic. There is lack of steel labor, there is uh, acute shortage of construction materials, from lumbers to household appliances to you know copper wiring, which is making it extremely difficult to increase uh, the run rate of housing production. So there may not be an immediate relief in the inventory. Um, so I think as an industry, we should come out with new solutions to this issue. And in terms of the home price growth, given that the inventory uh, will remain tight for a few years to come, it is hard to see home prices falling at a rapid pace. And how our house price forecast uh, in Q3 that we recently published is 12.1% for the whole year of 2021 and uh, moderating to around 5.3% in 2022. And here's a brief word from our sponsor. At Sidus AMC, we're proud to partner with the most respected brands in the industry to help them identify and capture opportunities across the life cycle of their real estate finance activity. From origination support to new and seasoned loan underwriting to valuations and brokerage services and everything in between, we're leveraging innovative technologies and expert-led services to help build more efficient, effective, and agile businesses. So whatever your opportunity might be, Citus AMC is here to help you realize it. To learn more, visit our website at citusamc.com slash housingwire. So we're still seeing... Um that uh, there is going to be a home price growth uh, in the coming uh, years as well. You know, some of those numbers you threw out, they're just crazy, incredible. I mean, the the rise of home price growth, that that 17%, the fact that that's, you know, larger than what we've seen going back to the, the beginning of when we tracked it, the fact of how how fast mm-hmm. homes are, are going under contract. It's just really such a crazy market right now. Yes, definitely. Let's talk, you know, an- another variable here is um, the latest variant of COVID-19 has put the virus back in the news. And, you know, with that, the threat of economic disruption potentially back into play. So how does Freddie Mac judge the possible impact of COVID through the rest of this year? Yeah, that's one of, um, you know, a big issue. And the latest variant Delta, it's all over news. And um, that's concerning to us as well. 
Earlier this week, uh, we heard NBER announced that technically we are out of recession. And if we look at economic growth, it is back to pre-pandemic levels. If we look at consumer confidence, it is high. Looking at the financial health of households in terms of, you know, personal income and savings, it is looking good, although I must acknowledge that not everyone in the economy are doing equally good and some are in the bottom half of the K-shaped recovery. Uh, and if you look at the labor market, it is still struggling with 6.8 million people still unemployed. But at a broad level, things are looking good and we don't want this new variant to mess this up, right? So, uh, but at the same time, there's not much we can do except for to watch out key indicators for its possible impact and just be prepared. Uh, when the pandemic started in March of 2020, our team relied a lot on uh, high-frequency data to give the state of the economy and the housing market in real time, such as we looked at, you know, open table reservation, um, total travel throughput using TSA data, which kind of would uh, paint a picture of how the spending is going to look like, which is very important for the U.S. economy uh, because 70% of the U.S. GDP, it comes from consumer spending. So we were tracking that. We also tracked consumer confidence, sentiment, purchase applications, and more. Uh, basically, all data that's available on a weekly and a daily basis. And, you know, for this time also, um, we'll probably go back to that model, tracking activities real time. But I just hope that uh, this variant is not going to bring a lot of uh, disruption in the market. Uh, there is still a lot of uncertainty with this new virus variant as well. And, uh, you know, as it was with the earlier one, I just hope it's not as bad as it was in uh, 2020. Yeah, we share that hope for sure. So, Ajita, what is the latest forecast for origination volume this year? And what is the breakout of purchase versus refi? So in terms of origination, um, let's go back to 2020 a little bit. Um, 2020, it was a very strong year. For a full year, 2020, we had $1.5 trillion in inflation-adjusted purchase origination, and there were about $2.6 trillion in refinance origination, totaling to $4.1 trillion in total mortgage origination. And our forecast is that the strong home sales and robust home price growth, it is going to lift home purchase uh, mortgage origination from 1.8 trillion in 2021, and that's our forecast for 2021, uh, to 1.9 trillion in 2022. We expect refinance activity, however, to soften a little bit because of the a little higher mortgage rate that's going to dampen the activity. And so we have refinance origination declining from 2.2 trillion in 2021, which is a forecast for 2021, to 713 billion in 2022. So overall, we forecast that uh, the total origination will decline from 3.9 trillion in 2021 to uh, 2.6 trillion in 2022. So over the last few years, natural disasters have brought climate change considerations to the forefront. And this is why it's so interesting to me, your background with, you know, uh, flood risk and things like that. When it comes to the housing market specifically, what are some climate change impacts that the industry needs to be focused on? Uh, yes, uh, climate change considerations definitely are now in the forefront of many industries uh, today, including that of Freddie Mac. And we understand and acknowledge that changing climate has a massive part to play when it comes to natural disaster. You know, the hurricane season has just started. Uh, June is considered the official start of the hurricane season. And, uh, and so it has just started in 2021. But looking back to 2020, 
hurricane season was notable, not only for its record number of named storms, but also for its record number of rapidly intensifying storms and record number of uh, landfalling U.S. named storms. And the impact of this natural disaster is significant in housing market. Of course, the direct impact, if you look at the direct impact uh, of this extreme weather event is the loss of life, you know, property damages. But there are many indirect impacts as well, uh, such as declining home prices in the wake of these hurricanes, especially in the homes that are located in the FEMA-designated you know, 100-year flooding, which are also called the special flood hazard area. And uh, we have published a research note late last year where we looked at you know, the impact of Hurricane Harvey on home prices in Harris County. And we found that after Hurricane Harvey, homes in the 100-year floodplain were sold for 3.1% less uh, compared to a similar home that's outside of the 100-year floodplain. And this 3.1% uh, translate to around $10,000 when evaluated at an average priced home in Harris County. And in terms of how many homes in the U.S. Uh, today uh, are in the floodplain, uh, if you look at the data from NYU Foreman Center, nearly 7 million housing units today are in the U.S. are in the special flood hazard area. And the special flood hazard area, they're also alternatively called like the 100-year floodplain. If you hear like A zone, AE zone, B zone, BE zone, these are all 100-year floodplain where there is like 1% annual chance of getting flooded, which, I mean, it does not sound like a, uh, like a big probability, but if you translate it to a 30-year of mortgage period, it's a 26% annual chance of getting flooded over 30 years of mortgage a period. And with, with this kind of price declines uh, and increasing number of intensifying storms and hurricanes, um, these extreme events have implications for housing market, you know, causing big swings in house prices. And as an industry, I think we should be looking at current risk like this and work towards mitigating or even adopting to this risk. Um, and additionally, I mean, in addition to the current risk, we should also be focused on future risk, I think. Uh, and with climate change, um, one of the most salient long-run risk in the housing market is uh, the risk of sea level rise, which may not be an immediate threat for many parts of the country. And given that the duration of mortgage is actually not 30 years and it's 10 or even less than 10 years, makes the risk exposure limited. But remember that in the U.S., 40% of the U.S. population live on the coast, and a lot of wealth is exposed to the sea level rise risk. So we need to put our attention into the current risk as well as this future risk as well. Um, so we should be focused as an industry on these uh, different kinds of risks. Yeah, really interesting there, you know, as the backer of so many U.S. mortgage loans, including those in areas where natural disasters have become more common. And to your point, you know, those coastal areas, how does Freddie Mac factor in the rising risk from climate change? Uh, you know, actually, Freddie Mac has been uh, very good at mitigating losses from this natural disaster. And we do that through several channels. And some of the ways that we implement is, you know, first requiring all homes in our portfolio to have homeowner insurance coverage in amounts equal to the UPB of the mortgage or 80% of the replacement cost of the property improvement, whichever is higher. So this kind of protects both Freddie Mac and homeowners by ensuring the coverage will always be enough to cover the balance of the mortgage uh, should a property become a total loss. And then we have on, uh, on top of that layered uh, the 
flood insurance. For homes that are located in the 100-year floodplain or the special flood hazard area that I just uh, mentioned about, uh, these are designated by FEMA, we require that borrowers must have flood insurance coverage, which is actually not included in homeowner insurance. And people have uh, people think that it's included in the uh, you know, regular homeowner insurance, but it is not. But we require home uh, borrowers to have that flood insurance throughout the life of the loan. So that's one of the things that we require. And we also have a lot of geographic diversity of this mortgage portfolio. And this limits the impact of any single natural disaster event. And uh, therefore, if you look at Freddie Mac's default and subsequent losses from past natural disasters, such as from you know Hurricane Katrina, Superstorm Sandy, and the 2017 Harvey Irma Maria hurricanes, that have, that have not resulted in significant economic losses to the company. And, uh, you know, to better manage flood risk, Freddie Mac also reviews alternative flood models and maps in addition to FEMA maps. And these third-party sources help us uh, determine the impact of, for example, rising sea level and helps us identify coastal communities that face chronic inundation, which helps us evaluate our potential exposure in these cases. So there are an array of things that Freddie Mac does in order to keep ahead of this, uh, you know, uh, impacts that to the uh, rising impacts of the rising risk from climate change. Yeah, really interesting. Thanks for for walking us through that. I think we could have you back and have a, a whole program on the flood insurance program, right? And um, what that might look like going forward, but really appreciate you sharing those insights. You know, my last question is really, is looking ahead. I, I know that this is um, something that you do as an economist, and obviously Freddie does. So, you know, looking farther ahead into the next five to 10 years, what are some of the home ownership trends that Freddie Mac thinks will have the most impact on housing going forward? Uh, so, uh, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, it has uh, definitely brought many changes to the housing market, uh, which we all are witnessing. And during this time, more and more home buyers they started looking for homes away from city and demanded larger homes because their needs also changed uh, with, you know, work from home. And this pandemic has pushed many households to rethink their choices of residential environment. Uh, recently, we put out a um, research note looking at the current housing trends. And in one of the recent researches, uh, we looked at residential environment trends. And what we saw is that there is a rising trend of suburbanization and movement to rural areas. If you look at the housing inventory in urban versus suburban versus rural areas, um, and I'm talking about data in May, in May of 2021, urban housing inventory, it was down by 6%. We, we have tight supply, and if we have tight supply in urban areas still, uh, and the inventory was down by 6% year over year, while if you look at suburban area, it plunged by 34%. And in the rural housing inventory, uh, it plunged by 37% compared to a year ago. which suggests that the demand is skewed now more and more towards suburban and rural areas. And I think it's still early to say if this trend is here to stay, although even before the pandemic hit, there was this absorbed shift of home purchases in the last decade uh, from urban areas to suburban and rural towns. And the pandemic has definitely accelerated this shift. But at least for a few uh, years to come, uh, there will be some softening in the housing market in terms of, you know, what kind of housing is demanded and where it is demanded. And so that's one of the trends that we are watching for for the next uh, five to 10 years. 
And another key household composition trend that we are seeing is increase in single person household. So if you uh, drive around the city, you see that you know smaller homes, uh, smaller houses are being ripped off. They are being replaced by bigger homes. But if you look at the household composition in the last 40 years, single person households have almost doubled in the U.S. And currently, 28% of all households are around 36 million of the households are single person households and uh, in in one of the research that we are getting ready to you know make public we project that there will be an additional 5 million more single person households in the next de- decade and because their need of housing is different from other household types in terms of the size of the house in terms of affordability the rising number means that we should make home ownership possible for this group as well and uh, you know this is one trend that we we are looking at plus you know research around many more housing trends uh, that we are seeing in in the wake of this pandemic so interesting to see as you said like you know what which of those are going to be long lasting um, five years out versus 10 years out. But, you know, as as per usual, we'll be looking to Freddie Mac uh, for this information and for that data as we go forward. But Ajita, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, I just enjoyed the talk. Uh, it's been great. Thank you so much. And um, this wraps up another episode of Housing News. The Origins Mortgage Platform is a fully integrated digital solution that covers the entire lending life cycle from application to closing. With Origins, you'll have access to client configurable workflows and next level automation. Use Origins to replace your POS, LOS, and CRM mortgage staff with one single platform. Are using our modular capabilities? Integrate Origins anywhere in your tech stack where you need to make the biggest impact on your lending. Visit www.origins.com slash housingwire for more details. That's O-R-I-G-E-N-C-E dot com forward slash housingwire for details. Thank you for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please don't forget to give us feedback and rate us on iTunes. Until our next episode, make sure to check out Housing Wire Daily, a podcast dedicated to the hottest news stories across HW Media. The podcast is published each day and is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcast. Thanks for listening.